If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Uh, this morning's uh, sermon will be a, kind of a part two uh, to what we saw last week. Let me get the map up on the screen real quick. If you were, uh, if you were here last week, you may remember uh, we went with Paul and Barnabas up into what is modern-day Turkey, uh, and we are in the city of Antioch in Pisidia. It's a different Antioch from where they launched uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, and what we saw last week was, uh, well, we saw Paul's message, the message of the gospel, which we saw was Jesus himself, the grace of God ultimately revealed in Jesus. He preached that message in the synagogue there, so to Jews and to, uh, to Gentile converts to Judaism. Uh, and they were very excited about that. Well, this morning we're going to delve a little bit deeper into uh, the response to the gospel. So we're going to pick up in verse 38 uh, at the conclusion of Paul's sermon, uh, and we're going to see how uh, these people, how different people respond to this message about Jesus. And we're going to read down to verse 52. So let's give our attention to God's word. This is Paul preaching. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out... The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And this is the good news that was proclaimed to you. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of his word. Amen. So like I said, we're going we're gonna to look briefly at Paul's message, but where I really 
uh, one, because it's important for us to remind ourselves of what it was, what was the, the crux of Paul's preaching. Uh, but also, I want to look at two responses. And uh, you'll notice this in the book of Acts, that this, this story is going to get repeated uh, a good bit. Not this particular story, but themes here get repeated. And actually, this continues to happen even on to today. There's only ever two responses uh, to the gospel. Either you receive it or you reject it. Either you embrace the message about Jesus or uh, you, you thrust it aside, as Paul says. There's really only two ways. There's no, there's no halfway uh, with Jesus. He either is uh, who he says he is or he's not. Uh, but you can't, uh, you can't have it both ways. So, uh, so let's take a look uh, first at the gospel offer. Then at the gospel rejected, and then what it looks like for the gospel to be received. First, the gospel offer. This is a bit of a summary from last week, but I wanted to hit it again. Uh, Remember that there are two promises that Paul makes. If you receive the gospel, there are two things that you receive. One, forgiveness, and two, freedom. Two F's, right? One, forgiveness. That for those who believe in Jesus, there is a clean slate, that Jesus has taken on himself the, your debt so that you could receive forgiveness, so that you could have a clean record. Your record could be expunged. And then freedom. And we said this is the word justified. And it's a, an important word, particularly for Paul. It was an important word for Martin Luther. In fact, that was the battle cry, justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And and. Paul says this, that you, in Christ, you are freed or justified uh, from everything that the law could not justify you from. So what that means is this, right? To, to be justified means to be declared not guilty or declared righteous. And what Paul is saying is that you cannot be justified by the law. You cannot be justified by obedience. More doing will not help you. Right? The message of the gospel is not Jesus plus you, Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus obedience. Um, it's just Jesus. And in Christ alone is found everything else, right? In particular, in this case, forgiveness and freedom. Uh, so law-keeping doesn't justify us. It cannot. We don't have it in us. We need the righteousness of another. Now, what is... What is the initial response? How do the people respond to that message? Well, they beg to hear Paul again. Uh, they, they hear this good news and they say, we want to hear more. Please come back, come back next week. Come back next Sabbath and tell us more. And there are even some people that as the synagogue meeting uh, breaks up, there are some people who follow Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're, they don't even want to wait a week. They want to hear more. And, and Paul and Barnabas encourage them to continue in the grace of God. Now, why would they have received that with, su- with such gladness? Why would they have heard that with such gladness? Well, I want you to think about what this would have meant for them, uh, these Jews and these Gentile converts, right? Think about what this would have meant in the ancient world where you have, uh, especially if you, if you were a pagan, you had all of these gods Uh, Depending on maybe the town you lived in and what your background was, you had a whole array of deities that you had to keep up with. 
a whole array of gods who were uh, capricious, who could get jealous, who were probably angry most of the time, right? If you uh, ever have ever read, you know, if you were in, remember when you were in school and read Greek mythology, right? There were very few stories about the gods doing good things. Most of the times it was the humans uh, who were at the whim of the gods, right? And so what you did in, in the ancient world is you had to appease the wrath of all of these gods. You had to make sure they were happy for the harvest, for the home, natural disasters, all of the above. Right? We've got to keep the gods happy. We've got to keep the plates spinning, as it were. Now, if you were Jewish, um, you at least had a leg up in that you knew that there weren't all of these gods. There was only one true god. And unlike all of these false gods, you knew that your God, not only was he the true God, but also his relationship to you was one based on love. He says as much uh, even at the very beginning of the Bible when he calls, he goes to Abraham and he just, or rather in, uh, to Moses when, uh, when he describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34, he calls himself, himself the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, full of steadfast love. This is his identity. Right, so he's not the he's not the capricious, unpredictable gods of the nations. Uh, he is the one true God who loves his people and keeps his promises. He never changes. But there's still an issue there. This one true God is holy, and he has a holy law, and this law demands atonement for sin. Right? God's law reveals his holy character and reveals our unholy character. And there's the problem. God's wrath, we, God's wrath is very much in the Bible. It's not as if God's wrath is not there. God's wrath must still be appeased. And so you could get into the situation, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, of, uh, well, last week I shared my disdain for the treadmill. Right? These machines, these torture devices that we put in, uh, in gyms where like, you're always working but never going anywhere. I remember uh, talking to a fireman friend of mine uh, who had just completed the, the 9-11 stair run. They do this every 9-11 where they, they uh, it's a, I guess it's a fundraiser to raise awareness, but they, they go up all the stairs uh, that the first responders went up in the World Trade Center. All right? Uh, and what struck me about his, when he did this event, is he, he did it on a stair climber. Now, if you can think of anything more unpleasant than climbing stairs, think of a machine. That's basically, it's, it's, it's a combination of a treadmill and stairs together. Yeah, that's as bad as it sounds, right? Because now you're climbing, but you're not climbing, right? You're going upstairs, but you're not actually going up anywhere. All right. Well, that's similar to what the, the, the con, your condition might be in the ancient world is whether you're a pagan or a Jew, you could get caught on this stair climber of always having to appease God. And what Paul's message says now, now notice what Paul and Barnabas don't say. They don't say that God's character has changed. Right. Uh, we, would, we would maybe think like, well, you know, God finally got tired of being holy and seeing people always transgress his law. So he just changed his mind and said, you know what, never mind. I'm just going to take everybody. Group hug. Come on. Right? That's not the good news. 
uh, the good news is not that God's character has changed. He has not relaxed his standards. He has not ceased to be holy. And the good news is not that humanity has changed. We didn't like, you know, we, we might be prone to think that, right? That like, Well, you know, now we know better, right? We're modern and, and progressive and really smart, and they were really dumb. And so, you know, our character's different now. But no, that's not the case. God, that's, not, that's not the good news, right? God has not changed, and man has not changed. There is still an impasse there, even, even to the modern day. The good news is that God has appeased himself, that God has satisfied his own requirements, that God has satisfied his own wrath in Jesus. This is what Paul means in Romans 5 when he calls Jesus a propitiation. That's a fancy Bible word that means that Jesus appeases God's wrath for you. That's Paul's message that's why they were so excited because it meant they could finally get off the stair climber but so that's the that's the gospel paul preaches how do these people respond right there's two two responses uh and it's and and they're always their responses right it's the uh, it's either rejected or received right it's the response of unbelief or the response of faith let's look at the gospel rejected the next Sabbath, a huge crowd turns up to listen to Paul, right? Standing room only. Luke, maybe a little bit of hyperbole here, says as if a, it's as if the whole city has come to the synagogue to hear from Paul. So it would appear that some of those people uh, who had heard Paul the first time and who had followed Paul and Barnabas and had been encouraged in the grace of God went to their friends and family and said, you've got to hear this. I have just heard the most amazing news. We can get off the stair climber, right? We, we've, we, don't have to, we don't have to keep the plates spinning anymore. All those gods that we worship, unnecessary. That would have caught their attention. And so they show up to listen. But when the Jewish leaders, verse 45 tells us, when the Jewish leaders see the crowds thronging to this message of God's free and undeserved kindness. What is their response? They're jealous. Now that's kind of curious. They're jealous? Why exactly are they jealous? And they begin to contradict Paul's message. They begin to say, hey, you're not, you're not telling the truth. Now I want you to notice something here. Their objection to the gospel is not intellectual. Right? They didn't, it's not, they, they don't look at Paul and say, hey, listen, we were reviewing the scriptures. Like, you brought some scriptures in your message. We went back and we looked at our scriptures and we reviewed what, we, what you told us. And we decided that your message doesn't square with, with, what, with our Bible. So that, that would be rejecting the message on intellectual grounds. That would be saying, like, your claims are not true based on this, this scripture. Right? But that's not what they do. Their response is not an intellectual one. It is an emotional one. It's not that they reject the gospel because of its truth claims. They reject the gospel because they see all of these people, all of these Gentiles coming to hear about being a part of God's kingdom. And they say, that's, that's too far. That's too far. Right? Their response is an emotional one. They, they feel jealous. 
Um, you know, we like, to, we like to think that we're rational creatures, and certainly some of us are, are more rational than others, but I think oftentimes we, we think, you know, we kind of want to be like the Jedi. Uh, we, you know, we have to, we have to cu- we're going to cut off our emotions and we, just, we only respond rationally. But that's not actually true. We're not rational creatures. We are emotional creatures who rationalize our decisions, right? Um, Blaise Pascal is a French philosopher and mathematician. He says this, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So what's, what's Pascal saying? We are driven by our deep desires, right? We're not driven by our minds. We are driven by our deep desires. And the question we have to answer is, do my deep desires, do my longings line up with God's? Now, how do we see this playing out in the passage in front of us? Well, we're told that they're jealous. Why are they jealous? Well, they object, right? Here it is. They're okay with grace. As long as it's shown to them. But as soon as they realize that God's grace is available to others, that they deem unworthy, they get jealous. We're okay with grace as long as it doesn't apply to people we don't like. As long as it doesn't apply to people that we deem unworthy of that grace. Which is kind of odd because to be worthy of grace is an oxymoron. Right? It's a contradiction. The moment that you qualify for grace, well, it's no longer grace. It's now something that you've earned. And so these Jewish leaders find themselves in a tight spot, in a difficult position. They don't object to God showing them grace, but when they realize God's grace includes others, people they believe shouldn't receive it, they become jealous which shows that they somehow believe that they've earned God's favor, that, the, that they deserve God's favor and the Gentiles do not. And that is the opposite of grace. Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 20 about a, a vineyard owner. And he goes, out, uh, he goes out and hires laborers to come work in his vineyard. And he goes out at five different points in the day, going from early morning all the way to the last hour. He goes out at the 11th hour, and still there are men in the city looking for work. So he says, all right, come back and work. And then he tells his foreman to pay all of these workers. He says, start with the last ones I hired all the way up to the first. And the last ones who show up, they get a denarius, which, is the, which was the payment, a day's wage. They get a day's wage. They've worked for an hour, and they get a day's wage. And then as, it were, as they work their way back to the first ones that were hired, everybody gets a denarius. Everybody gets paid the same amount. Now, I want you to stop and think for a second. How would you feel about that if you showed up at 5? 5, 5 a.m., right? And not 5 p.m. If you showed up at 5 p.m., you'd be pretty happy about it. If you showed up at 5 a.m., 
you'd be a little tweaked, right? And that's exactly what these guys are. They say, hey, listen, we, we've borne the heat of the day. Uh, we, we deserve to be paid more. And the master says, no. I, we've, we've agreed on a denarius, and it is mine to give. I haven't treated you unfairly. Well, I guess in a sense, yeah, I have treated you unfairly. But that's, that's what grace is. It's unfair, right? Grace goes equally to all, or it's not grace. And that's what's happening here Friend, you and I must come to grips with the fact that grace is not fair. That we are no more deserving of grace than Adolf Hitler. We are no more deserving of grace uh, than Kim Jong-un. You and I are no more deserving of God's grace than the worst pedophile you can think of. All right? We must come to grip with the fact that God's grace is not fair And that we cannot expect grace for ourselves, but withhold it from others. Because when we do, we show that we don't actually understand grace. That we're operating on some other principle with God. And when we do that, we are in grave danger. Paul tells them in verse 46, he says, We had to go to you first, but since... Since you thrust the word of God aside and have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're taking it to the Gentiles. This uh, corroborates what Paul had said back in verse 41 at the end of his sermon. He warned them. Uh, He said, beware, lest what is said about in in the prophets should come about for you, that you be a scoffer, right? That you reject God's word. Now, Paul doesn't say that he, that he thinks they are unworthy of eternal life, because again, that would contradict the message of grace. He says that they judge themselves to be unworthy of it. What does that mean? Well, it means that God's grace has ceased to be beautiful to them. God's grace, uh, they're, they're turning their noses up at it. They're saying, you know what, that's not for us. Uh, So here's the irony of Paul's words, right? To receive grace, you must recognize your unworthiness. But these Jewish leaders, they think they themselves, uh, they, they think they're worthy. And so they have rejected the offer of eternal life. Uh, in other words, they think they're too good for grace. And in the process, they have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. They, they kick themselves out, as it were. If we reject grace, nothing is left for us. It's as if the, right, God the great king has extended his terms for peace. He sent his ambassadors and he said, here are the terms. If you want to make peace with me, you've got to come through my son. And they're good terms, Right? Forgiveness full and free, complete pardon. You've been at war with the king, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to pardon all of that. We're going to clean the slate. You can belong to me, but you've got to come this way. But if we reject that offer, then we are still at war with the king. And that is not a war that we can win. So they, that's the gospel rejected. But what about those who received the gospel If jealousy characterizes one group, what is it that characterizes the other? Well, look in verse 48. 
When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. They were overjoyed. Joy, right? If jealousy was the emotion that captures the heart of rejection, joy is the emotion that captures the heart of reception. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Why did they believe? Luke tells us right here, they were appointed to eternal life. I don't know, you you can't really get around that, all right? These people believed because God had appointed them to eternal life. God is sovereign over salvation. But within the same passage, I also want to point out that those who reject the gospel, rejected of their own free will, that, they, that, that sovereignty and responsibility, uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility go together. All right? uh, God's sovereignty doesn't mean that people do what they don't want to do. These people don't want to receive the gospel, and so they reject it. But what we see is that God is at work in these Gentiles, and they were appointed to eternal life, and they believed. And then the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Now, how did it do that? Well, those who believed became witnesses, right? Their joy compelled them to go outwards, right? What Paul and Barnabas are going to do and what Paul would continue to do is he would go to these major cities in the regions, right? And he would work there, and then as he established what we would call a beachhead there, then other Christians would spread out from there into the surrounding areas. And that's what happens here. That the word of the gospel spreads because these overjoyed Christians became witnesses themselves. There aren't any professional missionaries here. There aren't any professional pastors. It is the joy of the ordinary Christian that compels them into mission. And what we also see is that the detractors cannot stop the spread of the gospel, right? The the Jewish authorities grab the the local authorities. They get these prominent men and women and say, hey, we got to get these guys out of town. They're causing a lot of trouble. And that's what they do. And Paul and Barnabas don't hang their heads. They don't give up and go home. They shake the dust off their feet and they keep going. And what we see in verse 52 is that the disciples, all of those who were followers of Jesus, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. God's work is not stopped by these detractors. The gospel continues to grow and spread. So this morning I would just leave you with that simple question, how will you respond? How will you respond to God's offer of forgiveness and freedom in Jesus? Will you reject it, right? Will you consider yourself uh, too good for grace? Or will you recognize your unworthiness? And will you receive and rest upon Christ alone? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your good work in Jesus. And we pray that we would have willing and receptive hearts. That we would not be filled with jealousy that we would not be filled with ideas of what we deserve, but that we would be filled with generosity, with a, a gladness. Lord, we pray that we would be filled with joy, the joy of those who 
uh, who know you. So, Lord, I pray that we would believe uh, and follow you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.